Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Phil Fox from Drops of Hope Ministries. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about penal substitution, or what's better known as penal substitutionary atonement. So that's what we're looking at today on Drops of Hope. So we're going to look at this idea of penal substitution, and actually I I talked about it on Facebook uh, already today. Uh, we we did a, we do Facebook Live videos uh, every uh, every Sunday. <clears throat> I, I tr- I'm trying to keep them around uh, four o'clock Eastern, uh, three Central time, uh, just for the the sake of um, you know of of uh, you know being consistent. And the, the, <clears throat> the reason why we wanted to talk about the, the penal substitution or penal substitutionary atonement is because this is one of the biggest um, misrepresentations of the, of the gospel in, uh, in our society today. But not only today, it's, it's also misconstrued in many Christian circles as well, or who would call themselves uh, Christians and um, so, so this doctrine is actually the doctrine that that holds that Jesus is the sacrifice, and his death on the cross takes the place of the punishment that we are to receive, and that we should suffer for our sin. And as a result, God's justice is satisfied. And those who accept Christ can be forgiven and reconciled to God. And so this doctrine, this is the basic of what this doctrine holds. Uh, <clears throat> so we know basically what the word penal means, right? We've all heard of the penal system or uh, so it, it's a, it's a judicial system that's set up, right? And all of this, you can, you can find, this is basically the same outline that I used uh, in the, the Facebook live video, but I, I wanted to transfer it over and do it again for the anchor, uh, and for the podcast. So that way it's consistent. You can look at it either platform and you can go through and, you know, if you don't want to listen via Facebook, you can just put it on your, on, uh, on the podcast and, and listen to, uh, the same outline. Uh, so, and some of the thoughts are probably going to be a little bit different, but we'll see what we have, what we have to do and uh, what we come up with uh, d- during the podcast here. <clears throat> uh, so the the word penal is a judicial term, um, meaning related to punishment for offenses. And we all understand and know what the word substitution means. So it's to substitute something uh, for something else. So... Uh, the act of a person taking the place of another. Uh, this is the essence of, of what we're getting at with this. Um, but the, the penal substitution and then the more technical part of this is called penal substitutionary atonement. And atonement basically is the idea that, um, that there's a, 
there's a payment that needs to be made and 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 God's basically God's justice demands atonement and the atonement is base is it's the idea of reconciliation it means that there's something that is owed and you fulfill that that owing so if you and it's it's almost an accountant's term atonement and it's the idea it's that idea basically that that you look at the 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 side of you owe something and then you atone for for it and it's and and there's actually uh an an idea that's also associated with this with unity or reconciliation so you become reconciled with god once the once the debt has been paid once the thing is atoned for then you are at a like a break even point and then there's there's unity so that's the idea of the atonement and you put all those together then you get the real real fancy idea of penal substitutionary atonement so So in Christian theology, Jesus Christ is the substitute and the punishment that he took on the cross was ours and it was based on our sin. So 1 Peter, let me get out of 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. So there is this this ultimate teaching that Christ has taken our place. And but here, here's the thing is we need to we need to stop for a second and we really need to look at, we really need to know and understand why is all of this important? Because with without without the the baseline of understanding that we are sinful people. We have to establish and recognize the fact that we are sinful. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So, and even earlier in in, uh, chapter 3, verse 10, it says, For it is written, None is righteous. And the moment you try to raise your hand and say, no, nah, I think I'm pretty good. Paul goes on to say, no, not one. Not one understands. He goes on in verse 11. Not one, not one understands. Not one seeks for God. For all turned aside together. They have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave and their tongue to deceive the venom of the venom the venom of asp is under their lips their mouth is full of curses and bitterness and their feet are swift to shed blood blood and their paths are ruin ruin and misery in the way of peace they have not known there is no fear of god before their eyes so all of that to say that there is not one who is righteous no not even one. So 
this is a serious thing because sin leads us into eternal spiritual death. And it's a real thing. And that spiritual death is going to keep us from God. Romans 6.23 says, For the wrath of God is revealed... Oops. Wrong, uh, wrong verse. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the wages of our sin, the wages of our sin is death. So the, so what we earn with being sinful is death, but not just physical death. The, the reference here is to our spiritual death. So the spiritual death and the physical death are both repercussions of sin. So we need to understand that, that sin has consequences and ultimately disobedience. It's ultimately disobedience towards God. Staying in Romans chapter 8, this time in verse 7. For the mind is set on the flesh, is hostile, hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh, this is verse 8 now. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So it is impossible for our our minds when we are in the flesh, before we are in God's grace, we are hostile towards God. And another translation puts it this way, that we are at enmity or at war with God. And see, that's the thing is that we don't understand that, or we don't realize that, that before we come to Christ, before we have the saving grace of Jesus Christ, that we are at war with God in our minds, and we are at war with God in our flesh. Because those who are in the flesh cannot please God. It's impossible. But that that's even more than just living outside of the Christian, that before you're saved, if you're living outside of the Christian life and you're living of the flesh and, and, and you understand and know Christ as your savior. And these are the things that the apostle Paul talks about. He says that he wants us to, to live according to the spirit that we, we should be living and working all the time to, to crucify our flesh, to pick up our cross and to live in the spirit. And see, those are the things that, that we don't understand is that we're constantly, constantly as Christians, we are constantly needing to have our perspective on the spirit of God and our spiritual life and recognizing that we are sinners, even after salvation. And that's, this is a hard, this is a hard concept for most Christians to get over or to comprehend because we constantly, we think, well, because I'm saved and there are many who think, well, because I'm saved, I can just go out and live however I want. Or there are those Christians who say, well, I've already lost my salvation. I'll just live like how I want to live for as, as until I'm ready to come back to Christ. But that's not how it works. You see, we, we are to live our daily lives 
and put our old selves away. Because, because Paul says in also in Romans, Paul says that should we just continue on sinning because God's grace abounds the more that there's because the, the quote actually is, is since since there's sin, God's grace abounds that much more. And then he goes on and says, should, should we then just continue on sinning so that God's grace can keep abounding? May it not be, the Apostle Paul says. So it's not the idea of us just to continue to live our lives however we want to. But no, it's we are to put aside our sin nature, our sin flesh, and to be more like God. So this disobedience is also storing up wrath in the sight of God. And this is these are things that people don't even want to hear. People don't, they don't want to hear about, especially in this day and age, they don't want to hear about the wrath of God. That that's a that's a dirty word. Those are dirty terms in this society because they try to claim, many people try to claim and preach that God is only love. I hear I hear a lot of pastors and preachers and and teachers and major televangelists and and these pop culture preachers who are all saying this right now. God is love. God is love. God does not want to send you to hell and all this stuff, blah, blah, blah. Well, let's read this. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men by who their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived since when, since the creation of the world in things that have been made so that they are without excuse. So God has shown it to us since the creation of the world and God is evident in creation and we don't have an excuse. We have no excuse to say, well, I didn't know that. Sorry, God. But yet we continue to suppress the truth and unrighteousness. That's why God's wrath is revealed. And where is it revealed from? Oh my goodness. This is going to blow your mind. It's revealed from heaven. I thought heaven wasn't supposed to have anything unholy in it. Well, see, that's the thing is you're, you're interpreting God's wrath as unholiness or as something negative, but God's wrath is embedded in his justice because God is more than just love. I think the analogy that I used today on the, the live stream <clears throat> was the fact of a child racing towards a hot stove and them being curious and wandering and and wanting to see what's going on with the hot stove but then as a parent you know that there's the potential of them hurting themselves so naturally as a parent you would tell them no even though it would upset them even though it would 
cause them to, to be mad and upset with you and even uncomfortable because they had their mindset on looking at and viewing and playing with and being intrigued by this glowing red stove top. But see, you know, and I know that the right thing to do is to stop them in their tracks, to keep them from the danger, right? Even if it's their will to go to the danger. But see, that's the thing is, is our society and our world continue to continues to tell us like, look, you can't impede on what I want to do. This is my life and this is what I want to do. And I respect that. That's fine. But I'm just telling you that there is hell on the other end of what you might be doing. And I'm doing this out of love for you because it is hard. It is uncomfortable even for me to tell you the truth, to keep you from going into that, whatever it is. But ultimately, for you, getting mixed up in that might lead you into hellfire. And that's just a plain fact. So, but most importantly, we, you know, we need, we need to understand also that we are born with a sin nature. And this is something that we cannot, we don't understand it. We just know it's there because we're battling the flesh. But in Galatians chapter five, verse 17, it says, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the flesh are, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to each other. So let me read that again for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to each other, to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the, if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law, but the works of the flesh are evident and a whole laundry list of things that are of the flesh, excuse me, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, things like these. I warn again, I warn, I warn you as I warned you before that those that do such thing will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things. There are no law. So if we are living without Christ, we cannot please God. And we already went, we already read this passage, Romans 8, 8. So these are the things that we need to understand and we need to realize. So we, we are according to, according to this doctrine, this is why this doctrine is so important because, because we need to understand and we need to know that we are sinful beings so that is why it was important for Christ to come and for him to die for us. <laughs> Excuse me. So 
according to the doctrine of penal substitution, God's perfect justice demands some form of atonement or reconciliation for our sin. But humanity, we are deprived to such an extent that we are spiritually dead, incapable of atoning for our sin. And we're incapable of doing this in any way. So according to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, it says, You were all dead in trespasses and sin in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, in the spirit that is now at work within the sons of disobedience. So you are all dead in trespasses and sin. We were all dead. So this idea is because what can what can what can a dead man do? If a person is dead or if when they die, they can't go back and reconcile any relationships. They can't go back and reconcile any of their bank accounts. Now, if you plan ahead, absolutely. But that, but that's the idea is that we are incapable. A dead man is incapable of his own righteousness. A dead man is incapable of paying for. And basically let's think of it this way. Let's think of it like a bank account, right? So if we had a bank account that was overdrawn and we die, there's nothing we can do about it unless someone else comes up and picks up the pieces and then makes that a bank account whole. But to you, it doesn't matter because you're gone. So that's the idea is that you are so dead that you can do nothing in your spiritual life to atone for, to make right with God. You cannot do it. So penal, the penal substitution means that Jesus' death on the cross, it propitiated or satisfied God's requirement for justice. And we touched just briefly that, you know, God is more than just love. Well, God has a whole list of attributes, attributes that are, that we can associate with and some that we can't. So there are some that are, these are called communicable, com- communicable versus non-communicable attributes. So these are attributes that God, we can, we can sort of have fellowship with God in certain attributes like love. Okay. We, we know God's love. We know how to love somebody. So, because we can, we can take love and we can apply it to our lives, but something like God's omniscience or the fact that God knows everything, every situation that was going to happen. God knows if you went left or if you went right, or if you went straight, he knows what would happen. And he knows each outcome of each of those situations. And he knows that for every single person. So every single situation that could have happened and that did happen, God knows the outcome. God is omniscient. And that's an incommunicable attribute. That's something we can't relate to because we can only operate in our, in a finite level. We are not infinite like God is. We are finite beings. 
So we can only operate within the scope of our limited, our, our limited being. Because we, we are only able to see line of sight. If there's something blocking our vision, then guess what? We don't have x-ray vision to be able to see what, what's past that. So something can block our view and there could be a person standing there holding a gun and we could be in total danger or there couldn't be, or there could be there. I mean, there could be no one there and we could be perfectly safe, but we would never know until the obstacle is gone from our sight. So, but God can see every situation. God can see the situation that never happened or the situation that never even came close to happening. You know, did you ever, have you ever, you know, felt like, well, man, what if I was, you know, I, there was times where I came up on an accident driving in North Dakota. And, you know, these are completely, uh, at that time, these, these roads were wide open. And I was, you know, there was times where I would come up on an accident and think, oh my gosh, what if I had left the bank two minutes earlier? Or what if I didn't stop to get gas? And that could have been me. See, God can see that. God can see those things. He can see all of this stuff. But see, God is more than just a one-dimensional being of love. God also has wrath. God also has justice. So God's perfect justice demands a form of atonement for sin. And humanity is deprived. So we can't pay for that. So penal substitution means that Jesus' death on the cross propitiated or or satisfied God's requirement for justice. God's mercy allows Jesus to take that punishment. And this is beautiful. God's mercy allows Jesus to take the punishment we deserve for our sins. As a result, Jesus' sacrifice serves as a substitute for anyone anyone who accepts it in a very direct sense. Jesus is exchanged for us as a recipient of sin's penalty. Okay. I only have about uh, four minutes left in this podcast, so I'm trying to keep these to about a half an hour. I could go an hour, but so we're just going to fly through these. Uh, Penal substitution is clearly taught in the scriptures. Uh, in fact, much of God prior to Jesus' ministry was was f- a foreshadow of this concept, and and they present it in the purpose of the Messiah in Genesis three two. Uh, God uses animal skins to cover the naked Adam and Eve during the first sin. So this is the first reference to death in the case of an animal being used to cover or atone for sin. So when they were in the garden, God used an animal to cover, even though they were disobedient. So it shows God covering or atoning for sin, but it also shows God's love and his passion for his creation. In Exodus chapter 12, verse 31, God's spirit passes over the homes that are covered or atoned by the blood sacrifice 
So God requires a blood atonement in Exodus 29, verses 41 and 42. The description of the Messiah in Isaiah 53, chapter uh, verses 4 through 6, says his suffering meant to heal meant to heal our wounds. The fact that the Messiah was, quote, crushed for our iniquities in verse 5 is a direct reference to penal substitution. During and after Jesus' ministry, penal substitution is further clarified. Justice claimed Jesus, uh, Jesus claims to be the good shepherd who lays his life down for his sheep in John 10.10. 10. Paul, in Romans 3, uh, 25 and 26, explains that we have the righteousness of Christ because of the sacrifice of Christ. Uh, and in in First Corinthians, uh, second, excuse me, Second Corinthians. This is a beautiful one. Second Corinthians five five twenty one. For uh, for our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that he, so that we, may become the righteousness of God. It's beautiful. He says that the sinless Christ took on our sins. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 26 says that our sins were removed by the sacrifice of Christ. And 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 18 plainly teaches that the righteousness was substituted for our for righteousness was substituted for the unrighteous. So this is the basic idea of penal substitution and penal substitutionary atonement. And there's more implications to this, which we can touch on maybe in a part two of this series. Um, but uh, again, I'm running out of time. And this is Phil Fox from Drops of Hope Ministries, praying that you are blessed and that your day uh, is rich in the mercies of the Lord. All right. Thanks, everybody. Be blessed.